The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, brought to you in part by Azi and Morphotech, we'll be talking about young adults with cancer. According to the National Cancer Institute, about 70,000 adolescents and young adults from ages 15 to 39 are diagnosed with cancer each year uh, in the United States. These cases represent about 6% of all new cancer diagnoses in the U.S. Uh, and in contrast to you know younger and older folks' um, survival rates, for young adults have really not increased much since 1975. Um, this can be attributed to things like a lack of insurance, less uh, participation in clinical trials, or maybe a delay in the diagnosis because folks aren't looking for cancer in this younger population. And certainly adding a layer of complication to the diagnosis and treatment, these young adults find themselves caught between the worlds of sort of pediatric and adult oncology. They face a variety of unique and and, uh, long-term effects that will need to be addressed over their lifetimes. Things like reentry into school or reentry into the workforce, insurance issues, uh, infertility issues that may result from treatment, and a host of other effects that we're going to talk about on the show today. Um, just statistically, excluding homicide, suicide, and unintentional injury, cancer is the leading cause of death among 15 to 39-year-olds. It is the most common cause of death among females in this age group, and among males in this group, only heart disease claims more lives annually than cancer. Today we have some special guests with us to tell us more about how cancer is affecting young adults and how this generation is turning to the Internet for support to gain a voice. First we have Dr. Lenny Sender, founder and medical director of the Children's Hospital Orange County Cancer Institute and a recently appointed clinical professor of medicine and medical director of clinical oncology services for the University of California, Irvine Child Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Sender provides uh, expertise in healthcare delivery systems and infrastructure as well as algorithms for outcomes-based medical practice. Welcome, Dr. Sender. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting us onto your show. We're also joined today by Matthew Zachary, founder and CEO of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, which is the nation's largest support community for young adults affected by cancer. Uh, This group serves as a bullhorn for the young adult cancer movement. Uh, Since its inception, the foundation's uh, site has earned considerable recognition, including being listed as a Time Magazine Best 50 website, 
Fox News uh, top 10 healthcare blogs and winner of most innovative use of social media in the world in uh, 2011 by the Classy Awards. We're going to hear more about Matt's group in a little while. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Dr. Sender, I'm going to start with you. We've got a lot to cover today, but let's start at the beginning. We are talking about young adults with cancer. What defines young adults? I mentioned that they sort of these, these folks get caught in sort of a span between uh, young, young children and adults. So how, how first of all, in, in the medical space are we defining young adults? Good question. So it obviously depends on which country you're talking about. In the United States, the National Cancer Institute has defined a young adult young adult up to the age of 39. When we look at the Canadians, um, they're defining it maybe to the end of the 26th year. When we look at the Australians and people from New Zealand, 25, 26, and, and our, our friends in England are calling them up to the age of the 25th year. So it really is a different age, the upper limit of young adults. Um, but let me just stop for a second, Dr. Center. That's a huge gap that you've just defined. All these yes, other countries a, define into their 20s, but we, had, we define up to 39. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Yes. Yeah, so originally, the, where the field grew up was pediatricians had been very, um, they were patting themselves on the back and saying, gee, what a fantastic job we've done in pediatric cancer. We had moved the, the bar. We had, we had started getting curates in 80% for pediatric cancer, which is up to the end of the 14th year. It's classic pediatric. But most pedi- pediatric hospitals were doing kids up to age 21. So when they looked at their group between 15 and 21, they started noticing that we were not seeing the same advances and the same improvement in survival as we had seen in the younger kids. So over a course of of so many years, a loss of 10 or 12 years, everyone started looking at this group of patients and realized that there really was a gap. And then when you started extending it into the early 20s, we said, oh, my God, there really is a problem. We've had great advances in little kids. We've got great advances in adults. So what's it mean for the young, young patient? The first monogram that was commissioned by the National Cancer Institute in this country said they took age 15 to 29. And sort of there are a lot of people in, in, in sort of youth culture, industry, and, and demographics that sort of had called young adults to the end of your 20s just before you turn 30. But over the course of, of time and when the National Cancer Institute held something called the Progress Review Group with the Livestrong, and they joined forces um, to put some teeth to that document, that age group was extended to 39. Now, we joke about it saying that 40 is the new 30. In mm-hmm. reality, it really is about the types of diseases that they, we may see and also, if there, are there different biological effects of having disease in that age? And what are the psychological and social implications of having disease between, say, age 30 and 39? Our European and our Canadian and Australian New Zealand friends have looked more and said the AYA population, the adolescent young adult population, really should reflect teenagers, number one. So we use 15 in the United States. They went to 13 because they said okay. that's when teenagehood starts at age 13. Mm-hmm. And so often they call them TYA units, teenage and young adults. And then say that there's a group of diseases we call peripediatrics. 
you've heard of the term perimenopause, a woman getting close to menopause, well, there's a group who are on the extreme right-hand side of a normal distribution curve with their type of disease. So they have medulloblastoma. It's not common to be age 20 or 21, but it really is a pediatric disease. It really isn't a older adult's disease. Ewing sarcoma, testicular Cancer. All right, so let's go. So let's go to that, to, to that, Dr. Sender. I think what you're saying is important. I don't want to lose it. So, so you're saying that there are particular types of cancer that are more common in young adults. So, can we go go through those a little bit? Sure. So, what 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 aspect do you want me to talk about? So, so which of the cancers are more common um, in uh, okay, so uh, the, you, you know in younger adults? And okay. do we have any ideas to why that's the case? So the first answer is we don't know why that's the case. In fact, it's part of our research. So the, we, we look and say we start seeing a transition. So one-third of pediatric cancers are leukemia. But then it gets to about 8 or 10% when you start hitting this adolescent young adult. So leukemia goes down, but it's a very relevant group. It's still higher than it is in the older adult groups. So we start seeing acute leukemias, we see acute myeloid leukemia, we start seeing thyroid cancer starting in the teens and, go, and sort of peaking in their 20s. We start seeing testicular cancer starting sort of in teen years and peaking about age 30, 32. We start seeing an ovarian cancer, which is not the classic older woman ovarian cancer, but more what we call the German line, germ tumors, I call dysgerminomas, so that starts occurring. And then we start seeing these sarcomas of bone, something called a Ewing sarcoma mm-hmm. and an osteogenic sarcoma. Some of those are thought to be due to growth spurts. You know, you go from being a little kid and you're growing up to be a six-foot-tall guy. You, that's where you start changes in bone. So those are the sarcomas. We start seeing, for the first time, melanoma really starting to occur at age 15, getting, getting quite high. And then obviously as young women start getting into their 20s, we start seeing breast cancer starting, we start seeing colorectal. So in reality, the types of cancers that we see are pretty unique. Because the cancers that we see are lung and postmenopausal breast cancer, colorectal cancer, and prostate cancer. Remember, those make up more than three-quarters of all the cancers seen in this country are those four I told you about. And we're talking about a rare number of cancers. So the 70,000 are made up of the numbers I've told you. Got it. Got it. No, I think that's a helpful context and interesting to hear the, the, how those definitions uh, vary uh, kind of around the world. Um, Matt, as we move towards our first break here, perhaps you can start to share your story. I know at the age of 21, as a college senior, you were diagnosed with the pediatric brain cancer and told you'd likely not survive uh, six months. So... Um, just extraordinary. Can you tell us more about that uh, that experience? Yeah, I had a very opposite experience of the traditional young adult who was diagnosed in the 20s or 30s where I um, I had a pediatric cancer, so I was treated by uh, pediatric doctors. So I, I, I was able to strangely benefit from the philosophies of pediatric cancer progress in that they were aware of short and long-term side effects. They were aware of fertility issues. And they were aware of sort of psychosocial wellness as part of the healing and survivorship process. If I were treated in an adult center at that age, I would not have benefited from that wisdom. So I'm, I'm an odd man out in the young adult world because I was treated with, with children, but at the same time, 
the social issues were, were pretty much identical. Instead of feeling isolated because I was in a room getting radiation and chemo with, with senior citizens, I was in a room getting radiation and chemotherapy with four-year-olds. And the parents of those children were my age, and they thought that I was the parent of a child getting treated. And, and it was just very, very isolating, and it was still yet not age-appropriate. So, right. And that, that was the onset of how I began to realize that I, I, I didn't belong there, and I really could have used some support that was very different. And just, Matt, we only have a quick minute, but how, how, did, how was your cancer diagnosed? I was a contrapanist in the age of 11, and 10 years later in my senior year of college on route to film school to uh, compose for Hollywood, I lost the use of my left hand over the summer of 1995. And over a series of six months and many, many misdiagnoses, uh, I was finally uh, diagnosed with brain cancer. Okay, okay. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, today we are talking about young uh, adults with cancer, often uh, an overlooked uh, and ignored um, population. We're learning more about types of cancer that are uh, common among this uh, population, and, and uh, we're going to learn and hear a little bit about uh, some of the uh, resources that are out there for young adults with cancer and, and, and some of the unique issues that they face, some of the unique side effects that they face, some of the unique uh, uh, social, emotional, financial issues uh, that they face sort of being sandwiched between uh, children and adults uh, in the cancer continuum. Uh, I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lenny Sender, founder and medical director of the Children's Hospital Orange County Cancer Institute, and Matt Zachary, survivor and founder of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Today we are talking about young adults with cancer. Matt and Dr. Sender just given us an overview uh, of the issue, and, and Matt shared a little bit about uh, his experience. In this segment, we want to talk about some of the, uh, the challenges and issues that are specific young adults diagnosed with cancer. Uh, Dr. Sender, from a medical perspective, what are some of the unique problems that young adults diagnosed with cancer face? Um, so the, the biggest problem actually they face is finding the right doctor and finding the right institution. So if you take, and I'm going to give an example for your listeners, if I said about 8% of the cancers that we see are leukemia. If someone is diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is a very serious type of cancer, and they get to an adult oncologist who thinks of them in the same way that you would think of the 50 or 60-year-old and treat them according to what I call an adult-inspired treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Their survival is about 39%. Five-year survival, 39%. Mm. If they treat it according to a pediatric-inspired treatment plan, not necessarily at a pediatric hospital because that's not relevant, but but treating the right treatment plan because their doctor understands that, that they need to have that type of treatment plan, the survival is 70 to 75%. That means today, without new research, without new anything, if someone would actually just get to the right facility, the right doctor... So one of the challenges they face is the biology is different. The biology is not the same as a 50 or 60-year-old with leukemia. It really acts more pediatric-like mm-hmm. and therefore needs to have different, more aggressive therapy. So one is getting to the right doctor, getting to the right facility to, that knows this and have the right infrastructure to do it, and then making sure that they get in the treatment based on that biology difference. So from a medical point of view, there's a belief that they're not the same. Even breast cancer, the stage for stage, a young woman's breast cancer does not do as well with current therapy as an older woman does who's postmenopausal because the biology is different. So from when I put on my medical hat and say, what are the issues? The issue is, can you find a facility in this country? Can they find the doctors who actually acknowledge that there are biological differences or potential biological differences? And therefore, when they think about the therapeutics that they're doing that. So that's one big issue. The second issue we can talk about is the issues related to psychosocial and fertility issues that they face, that they may not be given opportunities to deal with that. And then the third issue is most of the young adults, because they have rare diseases, do not get offered clinical trials. And if you don't do research, you'll never cure cancer. We have to be doing better than we're doing now. We have to be able to do it better with less side effects. So we don't want to just increase cure. We want to make sure that there's survivorship. And I think as Matt and I always talk about it for stupidcancer.com, 
We want to have meaningful survivorship, the idea that you have less toxicity and you're able to do everything you want to do. So, Dr. Sennett, let me go back for a minute. Just um, You talked about it in your earlier remarks. It's important to find the right doctor, the right institution. Are there specialists who specialize primarily in young adults with cancer? How does someone find the right doctor, the right institution who knows how to treat a young adult with, you know, with all of the differences that you've described? So we're a very young new specialty, uh, trying very hard to find a segment, to, to take care of the segment. There's a handful of us around the country. The good news is it's getting a little bit better. There's a new journal for adolescent young adult cancer, which I'm the editor on, and we're trying to bring new people to the table. Through Livestrong, we've, there was a position paper on how to create this new specialty. But I think it's really the idea of asking the the doctor, do you have, if patients would ask their doctor, do you know how to take care of me as a young adult? Have you mm-hmm. ever taken care of me as a young adult? Have you ever uh, put people on clinical trials who are young adults? Have you thought about the issues related to my psychosocial issues? And can you provide me with resources to go to like stupid cancer? We call it the campaign which we launched in, which is called Stop a Doc. The idea is to teach medical students and residents and fellows to teach them how to do that. But we want to get it out to the public as well. So really it's about an empowered patient, and an empowered patient should ask questions. The big problem that we face is that the patients don't ask because they don't, need, they don't know that they need to put the prefix young in front of everything they're talking about. Because there isn't that part consciousness in, in, in the society to say to someone, oh, you got cancer, oh, you got a, you're a young adult with cancer. Mm-hmm. And if they would put those two together, they will find researchers. Dr. Google's a, an amazing place. If you put in young adult with cancer, you're going to come to us at Stupid Cancer. You're going to be able to see an amazing resource page that we have. I think one of the things Matthew's done beautifully is to make that available so they can look for resources. We are working on you know, through the American Cancer Society, through ASCO and other organizations to get people's attention. But somehow we have to get our patients to really ask the questions. And once you ask the questions, you're actually going to find someone, maybe in in, in every major city. We are not all there, but every one of us help out. One of the breakthroughs we saw recently is that the NCCN, which is a guideline uh, sort of generating organization, which is a top 20 centers in the country, have put together AYA guidelines and taken on, say, leukemia as the first disease-specific one. So most oncologists now won't have an excuse to say they've never heard of it. If they look at the NCC guidelines, Mm -hmm. one of the headings are going to be this AYA group. But we obviously are in the very early stages of really getting a societal change and shift. I actually believe that there are four groups of cancer patients. I believe there's pediatrics, there's this AYA group, this regular adult, and we're going to start learning about something called geriatric oncology mm-hmm. as the population ages, someone who takes care of them. So I think that we have to do a better job in getting that message out we started to do better, and, and obviously things like talking on our on your radio show are really important for for the movement. Uh, things that Matthew's doing that gets attention nationally, that we can be in the press and we can have stories written about our patients, make it more relevant. But unfortunately, most patients don't know at the time they made they diagnosed. 
Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, really, what you're saying, putting it um, in that context. I think it's incredibly helpful. I know, and I know, Matt, so much of what Dr. Sanders uh, has said, it certainly, I know, resonates with you. And I, I do know that you had some, uh, some dissatisfaction with your treatment, with the resources that were available to you when um, you were diagnosed. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience, Matt? Yeah, I, again, having the accidental benefit of being treated in pediatrics, to, to Dr. Sanders' point, I was given protocols and treatment for pediatrics, and if I were in an adult setting, forget the psychosocial for a second, I would have had a much lower survival rate if I were treated as an adult. So mm-hmm. everything in his point from the clinical side is exactly that, the age appropriateness. You don't get treated by your disease. You get treated based on how old you are. So for me, yes, I had to have invasive eight-hour neurosurgery to remove the tumor from my head. My circumstances are very unique because my tumor was 1 in 200 a year, and it usually presents in, like, single digits. So the the COG protocols, the children's ecology group protocols that they gave to me were the best they could do, but they didn't know if it would work for me. So I opted to have radiation. I declined chemotherapy. But for me, I mean, I'm glad that obviously it worked, and I'm here 16 and a half years later. But, you know, the, the quality of your life is tantamount to the quality of your care. So, you know, for Dr. Sender and the oncology community, yes, finding the right doctor who can treat you age appropriately and recognize your unique needs based on that age demographic is critical. But having that sort of what's next plan, someone who can hold your hand and understand that you are in college or you do have a child or you have, your wife is pregnant or you're, you're in high school, it's a very different life experience to move forward with through and beyond that traumatic experience. And I, I would believe that my survivorship was more traumatic for me than my diagnosis and treatments. And it took me five to ten years to feel normal again, even though I was still living my life, but yet the side effects of the surgery and the radiation went away within two or three years. Got it. Got it. No, I think that's incredibly helpful to understand um, to understand that experience, Matthew. Um, Dr. Sender, we know that as we get towards the break here, we know that, um, you know, that sadly survival rates for young adults with cancer have not improved over the, the, the past uh, few decades, and in, in contrast to both younger, particularly pediatric patients, and older uh, individuals. So why is that? I mean, are, can we attribute that to some of the things that you're describing that, that we're not, we haven't been treating these, uh, yeah, treating so these young adults, uh, you know, as specifically and, and uh, thoughtfully as we should be? Well, I think actually it's it's complex. I think that there actually been some diseases that we've done actually better. So the problem, I think, in what we all do and we're all guilty of, is we lump everything in cancer together. Yeah. So we actually have, if you look at thyroid cancer, we look at testicular cancer and some of the ovarian dysgeminomas, we've done remarkably well. In, in the young adult population, we're, we're in the 90% range. We've got Hodgkin's disease now sitting between 87 and 93%. But some cancers, we really haven't made that difference, and I think that's the ones we need to highlight. We need to actually dissect the part and really tell the truth about what we have done and haven't done. So like Ewing sarcoma and osteogenic sarcoma haven't improved in the last 10 or 12 years. They've been plateaued. And the questions really are, because we're not spending enough money and time and energy on the biology of those studies, of those tumors, and we're not really trying to understand why those tumors are different to when it occurs in the younger kid or older person. 
So I think some of it is about we not spend enough research to do it. The sad truth is that leukemia's example I gave you says that if you look in the whole state of California for patients between 15 and 29 and said, what's the outcome for leukemia, which should be 75% based on the statistics, and sitting more about 30%. It's even less than if they went on adult trial because most of those patients are treated at facilities that don't put them onto clinical trials and therefore don't have the rigor of a clinical trial and so the discipline that's required. So... Uh, one of our, the tragedies is the delivery of care is a problem. The other issue, I think, which we haven't discussed and we could maybe in the later segment, is the delaying diagnosis that's made. Uh, Matt can tell you the story about how inappropriately he was thought of as a college student, and that story is repeated hundreds of times by our patients, not being taken seriously. You know, we one of the original names of our organization was I'm Too Young for This, which is a double entendre, if you will. It's about they really are too young because they should be doing other things as young adults. But the medical profession said, oh, you're too young to have breast cancer at age 21. Oh, you're too young. That spot is in melanoma. You're too young. So the medical profession hasn't done a good job of making early diagnosis. The young adult is invincible and therefore often delays going to the doctor. And when they do, they're not heard. They're not listened to. So I think it's a complex compilation of a lot of things that maybe leads to that plateauing of of overall disease of survival but we have made advances and there's some good science not enough science and not enough delivery of care improvements every single day in this country a young adult with leukemia is diagnosed and not given the treatment they'll give him at 70-something percent cure, he's given the treatments, given the 40 percent. That is unacceptable because that's an instantaneous improvement, and we really need, you know, to do better at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is um, incredibly uh, uh, helpful information, and I think incredibly enlightening uh, uh, for our listeners, and we are going to dive a, dive in um, a little bit more um, uh, in our next segment. We have to take a quick break here. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We are talking uh, today about young adults uh, with cancer, approximately 70,000 adolescents and young adults from uh, age 15 to 39 are diagnosed with cancer each year uh, in the United States. We are not uh, seeing the kinds of um, improvements in, in, in uh, survival uh, and detection in that population as we are in um, uh, in the younger uh, population of children and even in an older uh, adult population. Dr. Sender started to, to drill down on why that is. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We have to take a quick break here, but we're going to be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Millennium and Amgen. I'm Kim Tebaldo. I'm joined today by Dr. Lenny Sender, founder and medical director of the Children's Hospital Orange County Cancer Institute, and Matthew Zachary, survivor and founder of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Today we're talking about young adults with cancer and uh, in this segment. We want to talk to our guests uh, about what they're doing to improve the, uh, the situation and the experience of young adults with cancer. Um, Matt, you talked about some of your frustrations, the uh, lack of resources and, uh, and support, uh, but you didn't just sit back and take it. You decided to, to take action. Tell us about that and tell us about your work today. I'm still going to be sticking around for a while, and I don't have to be so afraid anymore. Um, I got involved with a lot of organizations who were introducing me to the idea of cancer under 40 and that the young adult world was very different. Uh, it wasn't terribly special, but it was very different. And that it had a unique uh, platform that wasn't being heard. And the fact that I was a member of that platform sort of empowered me to believe that I could somehow make a difference for the next me. So in 2006, uh, I joined the Live Strong Young Adult Alliance, which Dr. Sender mentioned prior to that, which uh, was really a, a task force of, of leadership on how do we take the next five years and bring the young adult cause to the national forefront clinically and socially. I built, I built a website uh, which aggregated I don't know, maybe three or 400 different unique resources that were specific to young adults, whether it was organizations that did fertility uh, assistance or uh, spiritual advisement or career training, um, uh, retreats and excursions, uh, or, or just social networking along with patient blogs and films and books and, and musicians. And it all got rolled into this one mall, this one website, um, where I would hope young adults could go to get immediately connected to resources. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's not okay that, um, that, that uh, 
can ensure that someone will be connected to something age-appropriate. Now we can, but we, we couldn't do that back then. So, yeah, Matt, I mean, the, the, the Internet was really in its infancy when you began your, uh, your crusade. Um, you know, how has the growth of the Internet, how has social media um, changed the landscape for young adults with cancer? Well, you're looking at a, a demographic that's using the Internet anyway. So it, it's not too hard to try to meet them where they're at and build valuable utilities and, and integrative uh, sort of immersive tools that invite them in, that empower them, and that help them channel their anger and their fear towards social good for themselves and other people. So the organization really was just a website for a year or two, but then the crowd started coming out and realizing that they could take a role in helping give voice to their own ages' issues. Um, we launched on Facebook and Twitter. We have our own radio show uh, called The Stupid Cancer Show. It's been on the air for 220 broadcasts in five years. Uh, the global listenership footprint is about 1.6 million people, and we, we, we talk about the young adult world. It's a very angry mouthpiece that has really generated a lot of uh, credibility to, to give voice to this underserved patient population. And I think our, our biggest crown jewel is our annual patient conference, which is called the OMG Cancer Summit. And uh, once a year, we have hundreds of young adult survivors, uh, caregivers, uh, parents, uh, activists, advocates come together for an annual meeting uh, of education, community inspiration, and really rallying around how we can continue to, again, ensure that no one goes unaware of the age-appropriate resources they're entitled to to get busy living. So, Dr. Singer, how important is what Matthew is describing? Uh, how important is this for patients? well-being, how important is it uh, as they're going through uh, uh, treatment? What is your view on the impact of the kind of connection that, that Matthew is describing? Um, I can't under over tell you how much important, how important that is. I, I'm a firm believer that we need to be able to provide resources to the young adult cancer patient from a psychosocial point of view, to to interact with another young adult is critical. They are so alone in an adult hospital, in an adult facility. They're either the oldest person in a PEDS hospital or the youngest person in an adult hospital. So the work that stupid cancer has done is so important. I mean, obviously, I believe that I'm chairman and I'm passionately, you know, support Matt on this because I've seen the tangible results. I think the way it empowers them to know that they can do it and by talking to other young adults, uh, it's really important and also finding ways to find resources. They keep adding to one another and to keep adding to our resource base. So it really is important because they really... The oncologist as a whole may not understand some of the nuances of, of what a young adult is going through. Our social workers, um, you know, we have fabulous ones around the country, but sometimes the ones who see these young adults don't know how to do this. So we've got to we've got to be able to do it. And, and using the social media approach, using the approach Matt has done, uh, is drawing these young patients in. And, and I think there's real tangible uh, evidence that this is, makes a difference. If you would have come to our conference, you'll see how, how they're coming out of it. Our goal has always been how to get them through their therapy, how to support them through that therapy, and then how to get them back uh, to normal, their new normal. And I think Matt sort of always believed that it's getting them back to doing the things that they wanted to get busy living. How do you get back busy living knowing that you may have a new normal? It may not be what you always wanted, 
How do we get in? How do we make sure that you're not feeling a victim and that you're not feeling sorry for yourself, that you're moving forward? And I think that's the type of work that he brings to the table. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Sender, and then I'm going to ask Matt to chime in, but um, we're we're inching towards... uh, towards our break here, but um, we, we touched quite a bit on the medical issues that are different for this population, but what are some of the, you know, social and emotional issues that are different uh, for this population? For example, we talked about uh, the issue of, uh, of fertility. Certainly someone, uh, you know, 50, 60 years old diagnosed with cancer is not thinking about fertility. Um, so, you know, what are some of those unique uh, uh, social, emotional, psychological issues that these patients are confronting? Yeah, so one of the things that that we sort of all realizing around the world is that the one area that absolutely defines the uniqueness of the adolescent young adult population is fertility. So it, it, it occurs at the time that you are going to be fertile, you are going to have babies. If survivorship begins as the Office of, the, of Survivorship at National Cancer Institute defines it as day one of therapy, you have to be thinking about uh, what you're going to do for these patients. Are you offering sperm banking to the appropriate group of patients? And are you making it available to them? Because remember, there's such tremendous stresses on them at diagnosis. But it's really important to get them to think about forward thinking. So sperm banking is critically important. For years, we had nothing for the egg. Yeah. You know, we, we had something for sperm, we had nothing for it. But now it's, I call it the year of the egg. Not for time. <laughs> it's time for us to, in the medical profession to really think about it. So for a young woman who has sperm charming available, um, then they should go and have, you know, zygote embryo collection, or they should have egg collection, or they should mm-hmm. have ovarian cryopreservation, or you should try and choose therapy that's not going to be so damaging to the ovary because our goal is cure. The curative intent, and it's 80% overall, we're working on that other 20%. We're going for cure. So I think it's really critical that people are really thinking about how we bring these fertility preservation techniques to the patient. And even in the young patients, you know, how do we bring it to the Children's Hospital here in Orange County? We do offer ovarian cryopreservation, and my lab does that work. Even on anyone from as young as 13 can have it done. We need to make it more available. We need to make sure they get access to it. Now, it's a little bit about the abortion discussion. The abortion discussion is about women's choice. I'm a firm believer that a young woman should be offered a choice. They may choose not to do it. Not every person wants to have children. We're not there saying children are the thing that makes you and defines you as an adult in your life, but we don't want to involuntarily take that away from them So by not thinking about it. So the psychosocial issues, number one and foremost, is that obviously we have to deal with issues about relationships, sexuality, body image, work, school, going to college, what it means to your college. I mean, Matt's example of how this was absolutely disruptive to his life plan of becoming mm. a concert pianist and becoming, mm. you know, what did that mean? How did how was he helped? Was he helped? Did he get rehab? Did he did he yes. really get the type of emotional support he needed to 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 keep pushing? Eventually, right. that became a great pianist, and you know he's had some albums out. So we got to be able to make sure that we don't kill their their dreams. That's, yes. So, 
Yes, uh, ab- absolutely. I think there, you've made some great points, uh, Dr. Cinder. Matt, we're going to take a quick break, and I, I want to come back in on this topic about uh, just uh, have you uh, add to this conversation about the uh, social and emotional issues surrounding the diagnosis. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about young adults with cancer. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices, I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. I'm joined by Dr. Lenny Sender and Matthew Zachary. We've been talking about young adults with cancer um, uh, I, I want to uh, dive back in where we left off uh, on the break, Matthew, and just ask you, um, we heard talked quite a bit really about the medical uh, issues that are different for a young adult with cancer and ensuring that they get to the right doctors to the right institution to get the right treatment, uh, uh, treatment path. Uh, Matthew, we talked a little bit about uh, the, uh, the social, emotional, psychological impact of being diagnosed uh, with cancer as a young adult. Can you add to that, uh, to that uh, conversation, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I was in Canada yesterday, and I was speaking to cancer patients at Princess Margaret Hospital, and I got a real, real insight into how their health care system works. And then I come back to the States, my cell phone doesn't work, and I, 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 I can't help but think the elephant in the room is insurance in this country. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, take cancer out of the conversation. Young adults are most likely to be under or uninsured in general, even if they're employed. So you're looking at a situation where an insurance company can hold you hostage because they don't believe that you need this treatment because they can very well not turn around and say, well, uh, you're too young to have cervical cancer at 24 years old. We're not going to give you this treatment right now. Uh, so, so that is a major roadblock, a major barrier to success, if you will, on top of the fact that you may find the right doctor, you may find the right young adult clinic, but your insurer may not support the fact that you actually receive care. So, I mean, and again, take out the other psychosocial issues. That's a practical issue, insurance. So there, there are many organizations in this country that help sort of legally advise you and coach you through navigating insurance issues and fighting your insurance company and suing your insurance company, you know, for that prosthetic, for that chemotherapy, or, or for that whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that is easily number two, finding a doctor, dealing with insurance, and then let's worry about fertility and the quality of your life going forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Matt, can you just, uh, for, for listeners who are just joining us, just take a, a quick minute to tell them about the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, how folks can get involved, how they can find you uh, and participate in your activities. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really proud to announce on your show that uh, at the OMG Cancer Summit in Vegas last month, we officially, officially unveiled our new brand. So we are now, going forward, we are actually called Stupid Cancer. And it's very exciting uh, because this is really what the crowd wants. So the tagline will always be after you, but this, it is that tongue-in-cheek reverence that we love, that made us who we are. But we are the nation's largest cancer support organization for young adults affected by all cancers, including caregivers, parents, activists, advocates. Our website is stupidcancer.org, and we welcome everyone to jump down the rabbit hole and support young adults with cancer. Fantastic. Dr. Sender, as we get to the end of the show, um, two things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a young adult. I'm having some, some kind of weird symptoms. I'm being told, well, it certainly couldn't be cancer because you're too, you are too young uh, uh, for that. What, what do I do? How do I be my, my own uh, best advocate? And then young adult is diagnosed with cancer. Then what do you do? Well, I think obviously an empowered patient is the most important. We, we need to make sure that the cancer patient feels that they can ask the appropriate question and find the resources that they need to understand what they need to go through to get them to cure. So hopefully, you know, over time, we're going to be able to get young adult patients to the right physicians who care enough to believe that they want to be participatory in making sure we deliver increasing cure to our young people. We also want to make sure that the social workers and others uh, are getting them to the right resources. So a young adult cancer patient should talk to their social workers about these complex psychosocial issues, and hopefully those through the work that Matt has done and others will know about the resources that they've made available, and then I would tell them to use them. Uh, pick up the phone, email, use use social media, reach out, and and, and sort of find it. Also, I would encourage them to do Dr. Google searches, um, about their disease, about their age. It really is about defining the cancer in an age-appropriate way so that the therapeutics that are offered and, and the interventions, the cocooning that's done, really gives them the best option to have the best chance of being cured. Uh, Matt, young adult who's just been diagnosed with cancer, last words of advice? 
Uh, I would say that, that we have a lot to look forward to in the last five years have had significant, tangible, and impactful, measurable progress. We can point our fingers at five or six really specific efforts that did not exist that can better raise awareness that young adults can and do to cancer, that can teach doctors, take us more seriously, that can ensure that the quality of our life will be taken seriously, and that the quantity of our life is, is, is basically how we choose to get busy living. Matt, besides your organization, other organizations that are doing good work for young adults, other resources, any websites that you want to cite for our listeners? Yes, I'll pick three great organizations right off the bat. There's a group called the Young Survival Coalition. Their website is youngsurvival.org. They're the nation's leading premier uh, social support community for young women with breast cancer. They address the very unique vertical issues for that patient population, and we are a national partner with this for many, many years now. Uh, there's an organization called First Descent and they host dozens of annual whitewater rafting, kayaking, mountain climbing, surfing, uh, hiking retreats uh, in the Pacific Northwest each and every year. It's a life-affirming prescription for wellness if you are a young adult affected by cancer. And I will uh, very proudly uh, talk about the Immerman Angels Network. Johnny Immerman is a young adult particular cancer survivor, a very good friend of mine. Um, he's the Jewish equivalent of being in Chicago. And Immerman <laughs> And you know him. So, and Immerman Angel I do. is the uh, premier peer to peer, one to one matching service in this country. Livestrong refers people to them. So, check out ImmermanAngels.org and find your peer connection today. Fantastic. Those are all great resources and all our friends and, and, uh, uh, and partners uh, to, to the cancer support community. Um, uh, this has been uh, just been a great uh, show today and um, uh, a wonderful conversation. We want to thank uh, uh, both of you uh, for joining us on the show today. Um, uh, Dr. Sender and Matthew Zachary, uh, just a r- very insightful and um, a, a meaningful conversation. Um, and again, we encourage folks to check out Matt's organization, stupidcancer.com, some of the other resources he mentioned, the Young Survivor Coalition, uh, First Ascents, uh, Immerman Angels, all uh, wonderful groups that are doing some very special things uh, for young adults with cancer. So we encourage you uh, to check out all of those resources. Um, we would like to, uh, as, as our regular listeners know, we do a dedication for every show. We'd like to dedicate uh, the episode uh, today to our guests and to our, our buddy, Matthew Zachary. Matt, you represent an amazing example of how someone can conquer cancer, put the experience out in the public, put it online so that others um, don't have to face uh, uh, cancer alone and others can learn from the experience of so many um, young adults with cancer and find uh, a community of support your willingness to share with your audience um, uh, and with our audience is, is very admirable. We thank you for being uh, a shining example in our patient and survivor community. Thank you, Kim. And may I just echo that, that you are, you, you've been an inspiration to me for many, many years, and what you have done with, uh, with, with uh, TSC has been extraordinary. Well, thank you. I do, I do uh, appreciate those remarks. Um, for those who might be joining us for the first time, uh, just a, a, a word about the cancer support community. We merged um, two national organizations, the Wellness Community um, and Gilda's Club, to form uh, the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest nonprofit um, uh, mergers in the U.S. over the past uh, uh, couple of years. And our mission is to ensure that all people impacted by cancer are empowered by knowledge 
strengthened by action and sustained uh, by community. We actually have 57 uh, beautiful centers uh, around the country, a wonderful, vibrant affiliate network where uh, a person with cancer, young adult, uh, a child, adolescent, uh, adult, um, and their caregivers and loved ones uh, with any cancer at any stage of illness can come for free services. Um, we offer support groups, educational programs, uh, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, free for, uh, for, for people with all cancers. Uh, to find a complete listing of these resources and programs, um, you can uh, visit a local center. Um, you can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can call us at 888-793-9355. We also want to mention a new program uh, that we've launched uh, called Open to Options. If you are someone who's facing a complicated treatment decision and you'd like to talk with one of our trained counselors for a free counseling session to help you uh, with your, your treatment decision-making, you can call us at 888-793-9355 and ask to speak to one of our Open to Options counselors so that we can set up that free uh, phone-based counseling session for you. It's a brand-new uh, brand new service that we're offering, and we hope that you will uh, call us and take advantage of that. Again, you can visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find uh, uh, our free uh, resources that are happening around the country and, and even around the world. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, we're really glad that you tuned in to listen to this special show today around young adults with cancer. Uh, we'll uh, connect with you again next week, and until next time, be well. Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.